You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to all of you. There's this really funny phenomenon that happens every Sunday, which is right up until the 10 o'clock hour, those of you who are with us live, um, you know, there's just a little bit of a trickle of you coming into the Zoom space and then boom, um, dozens of you flood in and fill the chat box and it's just really wonderful. So welcome. My name is Justin Schroeder. I'm one of the ministers here at First Universalist and whether you're with us live right now or listening later to this podcast or the YouTube recording, we're just delighted that you're with us. It's a big week we're moving into. And so as we gather for this time of worship, I just wanna name that reality. Tomorrow, the jury selection for the Derek Chauvin trial begins. It's also, tomorrow is also a global day of prayer for George Floyd and for Black liberation. And then next Sunday in worship, we will mark the one year anniversary of the pandemic and all that we have lost and learned and lived through these past 12 months. And we're really hoping that you will help us with this service, help us in the creation of this service. We would like to create several short video montages that include images, um, that include little, little videos, that include um, words that capture what has happened over these past 12 months, that help tell the story of these past 12 months. So if you're on our email list, you should have gotten an email sent to you that outlines um, the service on the 14th and what we're hoping that you might do. Um, take a look in your email, see if that's there, and then do take a few minutes today or tomorrow just to send us something that we can include in that service on March 14th. And I also want to take a moment this morning to invite you to join one of our six-week small groups. Uh, this is a group of six to eight people that will gather for six weekly sessions right after the worship service on Sunday. And now we're adding these small groups on Wednesday, right after the Wednesday worship. These groups give and receive care by sharing and by listening deeply to one another to see what is stirring in each other's spirits and how our faith is guiding and calling us. Registration is open now for groups that will begin at the end of March. All of the information that I've mentioned um, is available on our website and also um, in the order of service. We'll put that link in the chat as well. So friends, I'm really glad you're joining us for today's service. You are going to hear stories today about the faithful action ministry of First Universalist. You're going to learn about our faithful action partners, our community partners that we do justice work with, and you will learn and hear how faithful action is a spiritual practice, a way to help create beloved community, that place where everyone can flourish and thrive. In the order of service, that link in the chat, you'll find out more about our Faithful Action Partners, uh, our Faithful Action Ministry, and ways that you can be involved with our Faithful Action Ministry. After the chalice lighting this morning, you'll hear an amazing spoken word piece from Joe Davis. Uh, uh, he, Joe Davis is an Alafia Foundation Fellow 
the Alafia Foundation has merged with the Center for um, Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement. They are one of our faithful action partners. And so we're lifting up some of the voices from our faithful action partners in the service itself. So welcome once again. It's really good to be with you all this morning. It's good to see the hellos still coming into the chat box. And as we welcome one another into this space, the invitation as it is every time we gather for worship is to join together in a shared breath, to find that space to settle our bodies and to recognize that we are connected across time and space by this shared breath. And so I invite you now as you are able and as it is comfortable for you to settle in and we'll take three deep breaths together. Go. 
Ready with sleeves rolled up. Always growing, never fully grown up. Ready with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Simply show up. Thank y'all. That's my encouragement to you all. Yeah. Much love to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about, y'all. We got to show up. Let's create this world together. Good morning, everyone. Here is our story for all ages. In a land far away, once upon a time, three friends were traveling on the same road in a convoy when they came to a very poor village. Seeing this poverty made each of the friends feel a certain way. Oh, I forgot to tell you all, we're telling this story together. Well, we're more like having a, a kind of discussion within the story. So. We have three friends who are traveling on a road and they come to a village that has great poverty. How do you feel when you see people who are having a hard time? Uh, you can put this in the chat, whoever has the swiftest typing fingers, belly on up to the computer. When you see people who are hurting, how does it make you feel? Yeah, I see Ida said sad, Joel said sad, uh, the Thompson said bad for them, um, Nancy said uncomfortable. Uh, Jen and Jeff said sad, Marie said sympathetic, and um, Jack Daniels said grief, the Washburn family said angry. Yeah, we can sometimes feel a multitude of feelings. Like when you see people holding up signs asking for help, how does that make you feel? Krista said humbled, and Ali said compassion. When you see people living in tents, how does that make you feel? Ashley said guilty. Uh, Denon said helpless, like unable to help them. And uh, Cheryl said empathetic. And when you see people being treated unfairly, our three friends, when they came to this village, I think they all had a combination of all of these feelings that you're talking about. John, Jen, Jeff, and Beckett and Griffin said, it makes me wanna stop and help them. Great, so the first friend could not stand to see it. It, it made him feel uncomfortable. And so, and yeah, like uh, Joe said, uh, Joanne said, I'm sorry, very connected and maybe a little anxious. Our first friend really, it bothered him a lot. So he took all the jewels and the gold that he had in his wagons and he shared them with the villagers and he wished them all the best of luck. And then he left. So how do you think after giving of the riches that he was carrying with him, how do you think he felt after he left? Uh, Birch said, it reminds me that it takes only a second for that to happen to any of us. And Ida says, like he'd done a good deed. Yeah. Uh, Sherry said, proud. Uh, Rebecca said, less guilty. Yeah. Um, the Washburn family said that it felt good to share because it really does feel good to give, doesn't it? Yeah, so, uh, and and Danan said, and I hope I'm saying your name correctly, uh, unburdened like he had done his part. Exactly. And uh, Jen, Jeff and Beckett and Griffin said that person felt good about themselves after they helped. Yeah, and so the second friend, seeing their desperate situation stopped for a short time and gave the villagers all of her food and drink. 
She made sure that each villager received their fair share and that they would have enough food to last some time when she left. So how do you think she felt after she fed the villagers? And how do you think it would make you feel to help feed people who are hungry? Rebecca said, great. <laughs> and Ida said, grateful that they would at least have something to eat for a while. Yes, that is very insightful. And uh, Joel said, good. Danan said, blessed. Marie said, uh, just the start. <laughs> Thank you, Marie. Uh, Joel. Johanna said happy and the Washburn family said good. Velma said connected. Cherry said glad to be able to help make a difference. Exactly, because uh, when people are hungry, it really can be disturbing for those of us who are not and giving them something to eat will make them feel better and it'll make us feel better. It's interesting, isn't it? How, how interconnected we are in that way emotionally, how when other people are doing badly, it makes us feel bad sometimes. And when other people do better, it makes us feel better. Uh, Joanne said, motivated to find a way that would make them not be hungry anymore, ever. Yeah, you see where I'm, I'm going with this, don't you, Joanne? And Bert said, safety for a minute. And the Thompson said, um, I would feel happy. And Bill said, good, but worried about the future. Yeah, and uh, Catherine said, glad knowing that I helped. Yes, and Trina said, but the first two left. That's exactly right, they left. But the third friend on seeing all of that poverty stopped, spent some time in the village at the tavern and they talked to the people and they ate with them and they sang with them and they danced with them and they prayed with them. And the people told the third friend about the hopes that they had for their community, about the problems that they were having. So the next day, the third friend hurried off without stopping. And when the other two friends saw this from a distance, they commented to each other how the third friend lacked decency and compassion. It was good that they had been there to help the poor villagers. And isn't that interesting how sometimes when we're feeling like we're doing a good thing, we can look around at others and, and place value on the way that we choose to serve versus the way that they choose to serve. But what those two friends didn't know and what they came to find out is that three days later, they saw that third friend traveling back in the opposite direction. And the third friend was traveling very quickly, but in their wagons, instead of gold and valuables, they were bringing farming implements and tools and sacks of seed and grain. And they brought back with them lots of friends who had heard about the village and came along to help. When they arrived, they gathered with the villagers and everyone got to work. So how do you think the third friend and all of those helpers felt? <laughs> Fantastic, Rebecca said, and Fazia said, busy, <laughs> yes, and Velma said, rejoice, Joel said, amazing, uh, E. Miller said, great, great to help, and Simon said, catalysts for change, Kira said, like they're making an impact, and Dallas said, hopeful, and Marie said, very hopeful, and Maria said, connected to new friends, and Birch said, teaching a powerful Teaching is powerful in all directions. Elston said abundance and Joanne said energized. And I think all of the people who were a part of serving in that community probably felt all of these things like they were helping far beyond those who just give material things like they're a part of the whole. 
Danan said and Marie said, hopeful. Exactly. Exactly. We can feel a lot of things when we actually put our hands and our bodies into the business of making other people's lives better. So this happened a long, long time ago, but we can see the very same thing happening today. There are some generous people who give money and riches, and that is great because that is also needed. And there are some people who help with food, also really good because if you're hungry, it's hard to think about doing work if you, if you like just need something to eat. And of course, there are other people, generous people who turn their love and concern into action by working with people who need help to make the world better for everybody. They give greatly of something even more valuable than money. They give their time, their vision, their love, and their lives. Thank you for discussing the story with me within the story. Now you're gonna hear Seth singing, We Shall Be Known. This song includes a familiar clapping pattern, so feel free to clap along with me. We shall be known by the company we keep By the ones who circle round to tend these fires We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap The seeds of change alive from deep within the earth It is time now It is time now that we thrive it is time we lead ourselves into the well. It is time now, and what a time to be alive. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. We shall be known by the company we keep By the ones who circle round to tend these fires We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap The seeds of change alive from deep within the earth It is time now It is time now that we thrive it is time we lead ourselves into the well. It is time now, and what a time to be alive. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. Um, first of all, my name is Jeff Lennox, and I am the Community Partner Coordinator for Simpson Housing, which is an organization that you've already been introduced to. Um, affordable housing became my passion, and uh, I was introduced to the issue actually back in the dark ages when I was a college student uh, working in an urban studies program in Chicago. and worked for uh, an Alinsky organization that was fighting redlining in the Western part of Chicago. 
And then I became reintroduced uh, to the issue when I started working with Barb Mellum, uh, providing meals at Simpson, and then got more involved at Simpson, which has a, a myriad of services for uh, folks who are homeless or folks who need subsidized housing, et cetera. So I decided I needed a focus because um, you can go all over the map to help people. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities, but if you don't focus, you tend to be rather scattered and ineffective. I'm Cindy Marsh. I'm representing Augsburg Fairview Academy, AFA. And I really felt um, called by love to AFA. Um, I hadn't, I believe passionately in the importance of education for uh, all students. Uh, and yet I really hadn't worked in any um, schools, but um, Pat Gottschalk asked if I wanted to be co-team leader with her at AFA at a time when I was grieving for um, the death of my young niece, Hannah, who had just finished grad school and was gonna take a job um, in, as a math teacher in inner city school in Baltimore. So I said, yes, Hannah would want me to do this. And I love it that we're supporting the organization in our own backyard, just a couple miles away from our sanctuary. And um, that we're one of the only sources of support in terms of uh, supporting these extra needs in terms of uh, food and clothing and so on. My name is Autumn Harris and I'm representing Beacon Interfaith Housing Collaborative. The inherent value of every single person uh, has called me both to this church, but also to work for organizations that work for equity. And Beacon was a shining example of, of this and continues to be where they believe and we believe that all people should have a home. And my experience with the collaborative really has been multidimensional. So I've gotten to do some direct service uh, through their shelter program. I've also gotten to do some fundraising work. Uh, I've gotten a lot of education about the local impact of our historically racist housing policies and practices. Uh, also training on how to speak to and influence elected leaders and appointed leaders. I'm Jean Guion and I'm representing Sanctuary and Resistance team at First U. Um, I, after the 2016 election, I just felt a real um, spiritual emptiness. And even though I had been involved in social justice work and anti-oppression, anti-racist work before, I really felt a strong urge to do it as a spiritual practice within my faith community. And the opportunity came up right away when the Sanctuary and Resistance team pretty organically and powerfully emerged. And I have some individuals in my life, including um, my son-in-law, who are highly impacted by the unjust immigration system. And I thought, this is, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do, especially meaningful to do this kind of work within the faith community that is so beloved to me. Um, my name is Kevin Ambrose, and I'm representing CLNE, which is um, Community Leadership uh, Neighborhood Engagement. You know, it's important to me because uh, you know, we're starting from the ground up. Um, CLNE is in the process of 
gathering their 501c3 or their nonprofit certificate. And um, spiritually, it's allowing me to give uh, the gifts that I've been given, right? Um, I'm a finance person and um, being able to help an organization get a good start and a good footing and be able to set the foundation so they can be sustainable is really important to me. And especially since it's a community neighborhood engagement, right? And we need more of that. And so I just feel like um, I can help set a good foundation for them. And it's a good way for me to practice my spirituality. I'm Alex Dvorak. My passion, oh my gosh, a livable world for not just humans, but for everything and everyone and every creature on this earth. I'm here representing my work with Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light. And I found them at a time when I was speed dating a bunch of different uh, climate change organizations. I was really unlocked by a quote by Bill McKibben. He was on Minnesota Public Radio. And after he spoke, an audience member asked him, and he's really active in climate change, I should say, and an audience member asked him, what can I do as an individual to combat climate change? And his answer was, in many ways, you can't stop being an individual and go join with people. My name is Ingrid Young, and I'm representing the Habitat for Humanity Partnership here at First Universalist Church. Um, I'm part of a, a team, a leadership team for Habitat. There are five of us that represent the build side and one that leads the advocacy side. And uh, I'm passionate about housing justice and that's why I'm involved with Habitat. I'm passionate about affordable housing. I believe that safe, affordable, quality housing is a basic human right. And that having a place to call your home is essential to human dignity. I started with Habitat uh, just about the time that I started attending services at First Universalist. That very first volunteer day was a pretty special day for me. Um, we were working on the house that Love built. But what I do remember um, that I felt in my heart, two things. One was that this was the work I wanted to do. This was the work that was calling me. And the second thing was that I had found my people. Um, First Universalist was the first church I really checked out and it's the only church I checked out. And I think it's largely because I met a lot of congregants that day and really connected and felt like I had found my home. I'm so grateful for these stories from church members and for their faithful action work with our partners. I hope you're feeling as inspired or curious or hopeful as, as I am, as uh, I watch these interviews. And I hope that all of you, whether it's through faithful action or through a small group or through Sunday morning worship, you also experience, as Ingrid was saying, you experience First Universalist as home, as a place of belonging, as a spiritual base camp, if you will, a place to gear up and then engage the world in a more grounded and a more loving uh, way. I hope that that is an experience we can all have.
So one of the biggest things I've learned is that if I'm not actively uh, in there, standing on the side of love and actively trying to be anti-racist and building the equity, if I'm not actively doing that, then I'm part of the problem. And also kind of learning that I need to be proximate to uh, uh, the people who are most impacted. I don't think you can spend more than five minutes at the Simpson shelter without realizing that the vast majority of people who are affected by homelessness, the most vulnerable in our community are BIPOC people. Why is that? Um, and if you sit down and you have dinner with these folks and you listen to their stories, you learn why that is. And it's because they did not have the access to resources that I had as a white male. As you can imagine, this is a near and dear subject and, and question in my life, but um, I'm interracially married um, and we took, our, we took our young daughters to Simpson uh, shelter or Simpson house when they were, I mean, really small girls and they could figure out like how to help cook and serve. Um, and, and there was a specific reason for that. And <clears throat> part of it was because in my upbringing, um, people were allowed to kind of, I would call shadow box the racial issue, right? You'd see it on the news, you see it in the newspaper, but you weren't involved. And to Jeff's point, it's e it was easy for people to not ask the question, why? What's been so encouraging for me is through like some of the work I'm doing, I see a lot more people, to be honest with you, that look like you guys asking that question, why? Because it was easy to explain where they're just lesser people, or they don't have the desire, or they don't wanna live or they don't want to eat, or they don't want to work, or they, it was all these excuses, but those excuses were allowed to exist because people weren't curious. We decided with Sanctuary and Resistance team when we first formed that because the people we were going to, the very vulnerable people that we were going to commit to partner with in their journeys through this broken system, were largely going to be people of color and BIPOC folk. So we knew we needed to commit to doing our own, continue doing our own racial justice work individually and as a group. We move where the um, most urgent need is as opposed to having a very strict agenda and only following what we want to do. We went to walk line three, the current line three, and visit the White Earth and Red Lake Nations and hear from the indigenous folks who are being really impacted. And to hear people talk about how worried they are because every time that fossil fuel infrastructure gets put in, women and like children especially go missing and murdered. Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light really like provides a lot of opportunities and I'm really grateful for them that they put folks front and center being affected and that we can understand what is really happening. Really the uh, our courses and workshops and programs that 
First Universalists have really informed my racial justice journey and awareness. Um, but what the work at AFA has done for me is to really show firsthand the impact of systemic racism and poverty. Um, for me, my racial justice journey has been a lot of learning and listening. And uh, I think it started with a really uh, hard fact that I heard uh, soon after beginning to volunteer with Habitat. And it was about the racial, uh, the racial gap in home ownership. And so I started to really dig and study and learn. And it doesn't take long. I mean, you can just touch the discriminatory housing practices and policies of the 20th century. And you'll see, I really saw, and I think it might be for the first time, really how systemic racism is, particularly when it comes to housing. These disparities were intentionally created. I want to intentionally uncreate them. At Simpson, the vast majority of the work that we've done uh, with the church has been at the shelter providing meals, which during a pandemic, obviously, there you can't do. A quick perusal of uh, the Simpson Housing website will teach you a lot of things that you can do to volunteer there. So Beacon has a, a bill that has um, been introduced in the House called Bring It Home Minnesota. And we are actively working to influence our uh, both appointed and elected leaders to get traction on that bill. It's a rental assistance bill that would provide rental assistance in Minnesota to anyone who qualifies, which is not at all the case uh, how it is right now. Beacon also has a wonderful training program. You can learn about redlining, you can learn about um, predatory lending, uh, you can learn about nuisance ordinances that, are, that all are so racist, uh, it just makes you sick. Just by being involved in the environmental justice team, we are doing the work of Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light because they can't solve climate change alone. We all have to do things. So they've got these beautiful programs where you can um, be a family. They have like a family program that you can just download from their website to become a, a climate justice household. We're doing climate justice congregation. Um, and so this is one of the main ways to extend the work of Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light is to do this in your own home and to do it with our faith community, so. With Sanctuary and Resistance, our um, possibilities for engagement are ever-changing and ongoing. We have a really strong court observer program, and I know many people in the congregation have been involved in that. We have... Um, our direct mutual aid, our Sanctuary and Resistance Fund. This is ongoing. It has provided more than, I think at this point, more than 40 individuals or families with a, an amount of $750 each to use it as they need. It is a very low barrier, relational way that we distribute those funds. So we invite those who are interested to participate in any of the things we offer. We, we will continue with educational opportunities um, as well. So, and, or if you're interested in just sitting in on one of our meetings and see what it's like.
we welcome that. This year, um, AFA asked uh, First Universalist as their community partner to be their um, financial sponsor so they could participate with every meal. That's formerly the Sheridan Project. Every meal uh, drops off food on Fridays and then volunteers, the volunteer partner helps distribute the food. So hopefully we'll be able to do that next year. At First Universalist, we focused our efforts on two things when it comes to habitat. It's uh, home building, working on building homes during summer work weeks and your monthly winter work days. Um, and we've also worked on advocacy. One important thing people can do now while we're waiting for builds to happen again is to donate money to the at-home fund. Every time I start to get really nervous about there's so many things that we need to do to make this world more beautiful and reduce suffering. And when I start to get panicked about that and my ability to work on everything that I want to do, I often will just close my eyes and try to trust that there is a group like the people that I'm seeing on the screen that are doing the work that I can't be doing. So I just thank you so much. I feel so grateful. We can actually change things and make things better for everyone when we choose to do it. And my spirit just flows over when I see people like yourselves and myself get involved in the system and say, that's not enough, we're gonna change it. So I full encouragement, thank you guys very much. I love those closing words and I'm so grateful for these congregants and so many others who are involved in the faithful action ministry at First Universalist, but we can show up. We can lead with love. We can change things. And I invite you to learn more about our faithful action ministry on the website. It's under the, you can find faithful action under the justice tab on the top of the homepage. Also in the order of service, there's a link to the monthly faithful action opportunity newsletter that is available and will be coming out every month. That's also on our website. It includes contact information for each of the team leads. So if you are feeling called to work around housing, you could contact um, Ingrid with Habitat for Humanity or Jeff with Simpson Shelter, um, but get connected with these team leaders in the way that speaks to your spirit. Um, you can also connect with Cindy Marsh and Malia Hausneck, the co-chairs of the Faithful Action Council, the body that kind of oversees and coordinates our Faithful Action Ministry. I also want to let you know after the service today in the Zoom fellowship hour, you can stop by the Environmental Justice. Uh, they'll have a Zoom table um, Zoom room table. We can learn more about environmental happenings around climate legislation, line three actions, and much more. So lots of next steps you can take in a way that works for you, for your family, and for your spirit. Beloveds, as this time draws to a close, I want to remind all of us that we know that a better world is possible. And it starts with relationships. It starts with listening. It starts with coming together and acting on our faith. We know we don't have to do it alone. And we know we don't have to do it all. Together, we can help create a better world. We know that we are here for each other. And so, dear ones, as this next week unfolds with worry, with memory, with uncertainty, and with moments of joy as well, 
may you know you are not alone and may you be blessed and may you be a blessing. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.